Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship this morning, right? Aren't you glad you rolled out of bed and came to church? And <clears throat> I'm glad that you won in that battle. And many times on Sunday mornings, it's not a battle of mind over matter, but mind over mattress. And I'm glad that you won it this morning. Thank you so much. Beautiful, beautiful message and song from Lori. And wonderful to see Isaac here playing. Wasn't it tremendous? Thank God for that. Thank you. It's great. So grateful, so grateful for uh, what God's doing in his life and the testimony that he is of God's grace. God's grace is just all over that young man. And what an inspiration to us. And wonderful to have the Anzalones with us. Uh, Tony and, and Joy, they'll be here uh, in our area as we have our mission home that they'll be living in for several weeks. And we'll look forward to having them with us uh, a great deal the next many weeks. It, it was a little mixed emotions that greet him this morning because I, I need him to know that he's responsible for 150 people not being here. <laughs> it was two years ago when he was speaking in the missions conference uh, that he was talking about the importance of church planting in Ecuador. And I was sitting back there minding my own business. <laughs> and the Lord really spoke to my heart about uh, church planting and that seed was dropped there and the Holy Spirit began to water that and that we talked about that as a staff and prayed for over a year about it and of course that led to uh, eventually the launching of Emmanuel Church from us uh, just several weeks ago so I need to tell him that he's responsible to missionary for 150 people leaving our church and so you you encourage him about that as well but we are delighted and thank God for their 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 ministry well, we are in a series that you can see is called Church Refocused, and we have intentionally used this as our theme this fall because as we have launched Emmanuel Church, and thank God for the way he's blessing that new beginning, uh, it is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to refocus here at West Park on what the Lord has called us to do, and also re refocus on who we are. Because, you know, you cannot do what you're supposed to do unless you know who you are. It is out of knowing who you are that you really are able to do what God's called you to do. And this morning, I'd like us to think about that as you turn to Hebrews chapter 8 with me. Hebrews chapter 8 in your Bibles. And if you're using the Bible provided for you, that's page 1005. Hebrews chapter 8. Last week, Joe reminded us as we think about refocused, being refocused on gospel relationships, the importance of having unity among us in our relationships in the gospel as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. If you missed that message, I encourage you to watch it online. A very powerful, powerful message the Lord gave to him, and we're grateful for the way he shared God's word. But this morning, I want us to continue thinking about our identity as we come around the table of the Lord and this Sunday morning and then the next time that I, I share with you, I'd like us to think about what it means to be refocused on being a covenant community, knowing who we are in covenant with the Lord and with each other. 
That means everything. And I can think of no better text than here in Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to ask you to follow along your Bible as we have this wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at many passages in God's Word this morning. But this incredible passage about what it means to be part of covenant with the Lord and with each other. Hebrews chapter 8. Would you follow along please? Now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth... He would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. The word of the Lord and the people of God said... Amen. Amen. Now, Pastor Ansel Bourne, Pastor Ansel Bourne did a very unusual thing. January 17th, 1887, this evangelical pastor left his town, Green, Rhode Island, on his way to visit his sister who lived in Providence, Rhode Island. But for unknown reasons, Pastor Bourne, instead of going to Providence, went to the bank. He withdrew his savings. 
he traveled to Norristown, Pennsylvania and set up shop there as Albert Brown, the owner and operator of a general store. Now, on March 15th, this Albert Brown woke up and had no clue where he was. Everyone to him was strangers. He did not know how he got where he was. They told him that he was Albert Brown, owner of a general store. He had no clue what they were saying. And finally, as things began to come back to him, they recognized that he was suffering from amnesia and was beginning to come out of that cloud-like state. And he was taken back home. He got medical attention. And his entire memory as Pastor Brown, Ensel Brown came Insel born rather, came back to him, and he lived his entire remainder of his days as Pastor Insel born. Now that's a true story. I'm not sure that's where they got the idea for the born identity, probably not. <laughs> but that is a true story. How an evangelical pastor struggling with some physical issues, had a period of complete amnesia. Actually went away, started a whole new life and a new identity. That's a strange, strange story. But how awful it is when people truly do suffer from amnesia. It is a terrible affliction Someone has described it as looking in a mirror and seeing only a mirror. Looking in a mirror and seeing only a mirror. But friends, I would ask you this morning, how terrible is it when believers in Jesus Christ have spiritual amnesia? How terrible is it when we don't remember who we are? How terrible is it when Christians forget of their identity and begin to walk in an identity that is not really who they are. How sad is it when people forget covenants that they have made through Christ? Covenants of marriage, covenants of family, covenants of responsibility, and they forget their identity and therefore do not carry out their holy covenant responsibilities how sad that is how sad for us as a church when we have to face those issues with people how sad it is when there are churches who don't remember who they are some friends of ours here just two weeks ago from another city here in Tennessee their hearts breaking because they're church breaking because of a congregation that has forgotten who they are in the Lord, who they are in holy relationship. I think it's important for us to constantly stay focused 
on what it means to be a covenant community. Because my friends, as a church, that is who we are. And we need to ask the Lord to help us to look into the mirror and see more than just a mirror, but see a reflection of who we really are in Christ as a covenant community. And that's what I want us to do this morning and also the next time is to be reminded about what it means to be a covenant community that we may not suffer from spiritual amnesia and therefore not conduct ourselves according to who we really are. So this morning, I want us to think about what it means to be a covenant community. And there's no better time as we come around the table to be reminded of covenant community, right? So let's begin by looking at some passages of scriptures. You have your Bible. I want to talk to you first of all about the meaning of covenant. The meaning of covenant. Let's begin with a definition. What are we talking about when we're talking about covenant? Well, definition for covenant that can be given is this. It is an agreement or mutual obligation contracted deliberately and with solemnity. Now, that's the definition from the Shaw Herzog Encyclopedia. An agreement or mutual obligation contracted deliberately and with solemnity. Now, we're, we're familiar with the idea of contracts. A contract is a form of a covenant. We're familiar with contracts. Several may have contracts. Perhaps you have a contract regarding a, a car purchase or something else. Or you have a contract in the community in which you live. Perhaps you have a, a contract regarding your home. Those are, those are forms of covenant. But when we talk about covenant as Christians, we're talking about something very different. Because you see, this is what a covenant is for us as believers. A covenant is a sacred contract. It is a sacred contract. In the Bible, the idea of covenant means that God is invoked. God is invoked in the making of this contract. God is invoked as a witness and he is invoked as an enforcer. That's the idea of covenant in the Bible. Now, I thought it would be good for us just to see that in the Bible, there are covenants that God himself makes. You see, it's one thing for two people to make a covenant and to invoke God as witness on that covenant, but it's a whole other thing, isn't it, when God enters the covenant, when he makes the covenant? Now, notice, God is the maker of several covenants. I want you to look back at Genesis, you would. Would you turn, keep your Bible there, but perhaps you would like to turn with me to some passages to talk about God making covenants. And let's begin, and let's look just a few of these very briefly. In Genesis chapter 6, and this is on page 5 of the Bible, if you're using it there. In Genesis chapter 6, we are told how the Lord created a covenant with Noah. It's called the Noahic covenant. The covenant with Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. 
the Lord says, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. So the Lord invokes a covenant with Noah that he will save him and his family. Now, this is the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. You might want to note that. It's the first time it's used in all the Bible, the word covenant. And it's based on grace. Look back at verse 8 of chapter 6. You're there in chapter 6, verse 8. We are told these words, But Noah found favor. The word there for favor is grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time the word for grace is used in the Bible. In Genesis 6, Noah receives grace, not earns grace. He is granted grace. And because of that grace, a covenant is formed with Noah and his family for their salvation. And, of course, in chapter 9, God makes that covenant promise with Noah's descendants, and he puts the beautiful symbol of that covenant in the sky. What is that? The rainbow. Every time you see the rainbow, that is a symbol of the covenant-keeping God. Interesting, when you get to the end of the Bible, we see God seated on his throne, and around his throne is what? The rainbow. The covenant-keeping God. So here's the Noahic covenant. Now turn over a few pages, if you would, to Genesis chapter 17. That's page 11 of the Bible, if you're using that one. And here, God enters into a covenant with a particular individual. His name is Abram, later known as Abraham. And in chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now notice he makes this covenant. We can call it the Abrahamic covenant. It's a covenant made with Abraham, and it is a covenant about these things. It's a covenant about a people that are to come from Abraham. It's a covenant about a place, the land of Canaan, that God will give to Abraham and his descendants. And it's a covenant about a person, a person that will come from Abraham, and in him all the nations of the earth, earth will be blessed. God made a covenant with Abraham about a people, the people of Israel that would be his descendants, about a place, the land of Canaan that he gave to Abraham and his descendants forever, and about a person who would come from Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Aren't you grateful for a covenant, God? Well, then God entered into covenant with another person. If you want to turn over to Psalm 89, page 495 in your Bibles, Psalm 89, we are described a covenant that takes place between the Lord and David. We can call it the Davidic covenant. 
It's a covenant between God and David. And in Psalm 89, David makes reference to this. It's actually shared with him personally back in 2 Samuel 7. But here's what it says. Verse 3, Psalm 89, verse 3. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring from forever and build your throne for all generations. God entered into a covenant with David and he said, David, through you will come the kingly line and from you will come your son who will sit on the throne. Remember what the angel said to Mary. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks. That of one born to Mary would be her son who would sit on the throne of his father, David. This is the covenant that God entered into that through the people of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, through the lineage of David would come the one who would be the king of the Jews. That's the Davidic covenant. But now the covenant you may be most familiar with is the covenant that God made through Moses. And I want you to look now, if you would, at Exodus chapter 34. If you'd like to use the Bible there, it's page 74 of that Bible. God entered into a covenant with Israel, with the nation Israel. He chose them to be his. He saved them by his glory. He brought them out of slavery by the amazing Passover and freeing his people from bondage. God made a covenant with the people of Israel in Exodus 34, verses 27 and 28. The Lord said this to Moses and to the people. Exodus 34, verse 27. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He ate neither bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Lord entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. He made this covenant. They entered into the covenant as his people on earth. And the words of the covenant these Ten Commandments. Now, this covenant we often refer to, maybe you've heard it referred to as the Old Covenant or the Old Testament because the word testament and the word covenant are the same. He says that we're told this is the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Why? Why do we call it the Old Covenant? Because it has been replaced. It has been replaced with a new covenant. Now let's go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 8. You follow our thought here. Hebrews chapter 8, page 1005 of your Bible there. You will see that this old covenant, the covenant of Moses with Israel, God 
covenant through Moses with Israel has been replaced by a new covenant. A new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, we read it this morning. Hebrews 8, notice if you would here, as we look at our text in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. He says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Now notice he says, finding fault with them. It doesn't say he found fault with the covenant. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. He found fault with the people of Israel because they could not keep the covenant. In their sinfulness, they were not able to keep the covenant. And God said, I am setting aside this covenant which you cannot keep. And I am establishing a new covenant. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now notice this new covenant is a living covenant. It is a spiritual covenant. It is not a covenant written on paper. It is not even a covenant written on stone tablets like the Ten Commandments. But this covenant, the new covenant that God is making, is a covenant that is written by His Spirit on the very minds and hearts of His people. It is a living covenant where the covenant is actually put into the minds and hearts of the people that are the Lord. And God says, did you notice this? He said, I will do it. I will do it. It's a covenant of grace. Totally of God's grace. God says, these people cannot fulfill their covenant obligations in their fleshly nature. They are not able to do so. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do such a work of grace that my law will be put into their very minds and their hearts by my spirit. The covenant of grace. Now, how did God accomplish this covenant? This new covenant, how did God accomplish this? Well, he accomplished it through his mediator. The mediator of the new covenant. The one who would bring the covenant into actual reality between God and sinners. Between God and sinners, there would be such a work done by this mediator that sinful men and women would have God's law written into their minds and their hearts by the Spirit. And the mediator would accomplish this. The Old Testament 
The old covenant ends with a promise. You know what the final promise of the old covenant is? The promise of the old covenant is that there's a special person coming. This special person is described this way. The last promise of the Old Testament is this. The Lord will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant. The Lord himself is the messenger. And he's coming to bring his covenant. Only he could bring it. Only he could do it. Only he could accomplish it. Only our Lord himself could be the mediator because what needed to be done, only the Lord himself could do, right? Only he could do it. And that is the reason in Hebrews chapter 12, you're there in Hebrews chapter 8, but in Hebrews 12, that's page 1009, Jesus is called the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 12, 24, we come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Now, how is Jesus and only Jesus the mediator of the new covenant? Well, he is the mediator of the new covenant because, listen carefully, only Jesus could represent both parties. Only Jesus could represent God and represent man because only Jesus is the God-man. That's the reason the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is essential to our salvation because it is as Jesus was fully God and fully man, he could bring God and man together as the mediator of the new covenant because he himself alone is God and man. He represents God. He represents man. Think of the chasm between God and man. <laughs> who, who can possibly cross the chasm between holy God and sinful, wretched man? Who can span that distance? Jesus can. And thank God he did. Jesus can and Jesus did. The Bible says in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 5. That's page 991 if you're running through these Bible verses with me. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. He is the mediator and he is the only mediator. There are not many ways to God. There's one way to God. There is one God, and there is one mediator between us and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. But thank God, the chasm has been crossed by Jesus Christ. He's the perfect mediator, He's the only mediator. See, He represents both parties. Only Jesus could satisfy the requirements. 
He had to satisfy the requirements of God, and he had to satisfy the requirements we have. What was the requirement of God? God had to have a sacrifice. There had to be someone who was worthy, sinless, who could take responsibility for the sin debt, who could pay the debt. A sinless one who could pay the debt for sinners. God needed that sinless sacrifice. And what did we need? We needed a substitute. Someone to take our place. Someone who was sinless who could come and stand in our place and fulfill the law that we had broken, fulfill the commandments that we had so terribly broken and still break. We needed someone to accomplish righteousness for us. And then we needed someone to stand in our place and take the penalty for the broken laws. And thank God, that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave himself the righteous for the unrighteous, right? That he might bring us to God. The blood of the substitute. You see, you know what the word covenant means literally? Covenant in its original root form means to cut. To cut. There was always blood. There was a sacrifice that was offered to show the solemnity, to show the responsibility of fulfilling the contract. What are we told that Jesus said the night he instituted this? What did he say? He said this. He took the cup after the supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. I am the messenger of the new covenant. I am the mediator. I am the Lamb of God, sacrificed for God. And I am the Lamb, your substitute, who will give his life for your ransom. And when you take this cup, Remember, it represents the blood of the new covenant. Now, friends, that means us. We are united with God eternally. Through the blood of his son, the mediator of the new covenant. Through Christ, he is our father. Through Christ, we are joint heirs with the Lord. Through Christ, listen. We're brothers and sisters. 
amnesia. It's impossible to be who we're supposed to be if we don't know who we are. We are the people of the new covenant accomplished by God's amazing grace. No merit of our own, but God in his grace has made us to know our sin and he has caused us to see in Christ a perfect substitute. He's brought us to himself He has been reconciled through the death of his son. He has made us partakers of the divine nature. We are now united in him. We are not just people who come to the same building. We are in Christ Brothers and sisters, we are related to one another. That's who we are. And all of life flows out of that. You see, when God, by His grace, writes his word, his law upon your heart, when he by his grace makes himself known to you, the outworking of that is that you know all things in a brand new dimension. You never look at the world the same. You never look at yourself the same. And you never look at other Christians the same now that you are truly a Christian. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. What an incredible thing it is when there is an assembly of sinners. But sinners who have been saved by the grace of God and have been made partakers together of the new covenant in Christ. That is an amazing place. That is an amazing presence and that is an amazing power. And may the Lord unleash that identity on us as never before. And may it begin right here. This morning, I have three brief challenges as we're just about to come. Number one, make sure you're united to Christ. If you don't know that you belong to Him, today is the day as even you're seated here in the presence of the symbols of the covenant to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I just don't need religion. I just don't need to improve. I need a new me. I need you to do something in my life through Christ that completely revolutionizes my very spirit. 
I don't want the same old, same old. I need to be made new. Unite to Christ. Come to Christ. Secondly, it's time for some to unite yourself to this body. It's time for some to say, yes, this is my place of worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where the Lord has me. I know I need to be part of living, breathing brothers and sisters in Christ. 